welcome to Without the Footnotes with me, your host, Esther Rini. On this week's episode, I'll be talking about the Holocaust in Spain. Hi friends and welcome to season three, episode two of Without the Footnotes, Not Your Typical Holocaust Lecture. I hope everyone is doing well and has had a nice week. Um, The sun is finally shining here in Berlin, so that's a good thing. I hope the weather stays though. You never know. This year has been really weird for that. Like I feel that we completely skipped over spring and now hopefully just entering into summer till like November. Um, There's been a few things you might have seen in the news this week that I just just did want to touch on before I start this week's episode and firstly was the discovery of a mass grave of 215 indigenous children that's been found in Canada and the reason why I want to mention this is that we can often think of genocide of the indigenous communities in the Americas as something that's somewhat committed to history already when actually these so-called residential schools which is where the mass grave was discovered um, have been an ongoing governmental practice in Canada I think up until 1995. So as I've mentioned before, the definition of genocide clearly states that the transferal of children is genocidal. And what we know about these schools is that they were anything but nurturing and they were designed to remove the children from their communities. And the practice that was undertook at these schools was abusive. Um, These children suffered severe maltreatment. And in in this case, especially in this case especially um murder so that's something that we should take very very seriously um the fact that a mass grave like this one has been uncovered actually gives us quite an ominous sign that these types of graves probably exist elsewhere in Canada and for the indigenous communities this is an extremely painful thing to be experiencing as they're not that far removed from experiencing these so-called residential schools because as I said I think the last one closed in 1995 so I think when these these kinds of things come up in the news I think it's very important that we keep that in mind that this is a very present history for the communities that suffer and um, yeah we shouldn't we shouldn't kind of think of it as something that's over and done with because they're very much still living um, the experience of genocide. Um, also, Germany has agreed to pay $1.1 billion to Namibia in recognise of the genocide perpetrated against the Herero and Nama peoples, which I have spoken about on an episode of the podcast before. And um, whilst I think this is a step in the right direction... I would urge you to take a look at the conditions of this payment um, that Germany has put forward as it's still a very highly politicised move on Germany's part and it really does go to show just how complicated um, perpetrator countries can make the issue of reparations um, specifically when it comes to um, genocide. So... Keep an eye on that in the news and, yeah, have a little read around it. If you do want to reach out and discuss anything, obviously you can always email me or DM me on Without the Footnotes. So it's info at withoutthefootnotes.org and um, you can DM me on Instagram at withoutthefootnotes. So anyway, those were that was just two things that I'd just like to touch upon. And, yeah, let's just crack on with this week's episode.
So this week we're going going to Spain and it's probably going to be quite a short and sweet episode as there isn't really a whole lot to say about Spain regarding the Holocaust. But nonetheless, it is still important to understand what went on there as it gives us a broader view of what things looked like in Europe and also how the threat of genocide to a particular community is universal. So Spain actually stayed neutral during the war. Um, during World War II and was governed under the Francoist dictatorship. Franco was a general who led nationalist forces and overthrew the Second Spanish Republic during the Spanish Civil War of 1936 to 1939 and he was the dictator of Spain from 1939 to 1975. Now Franco was was also supported by Nazi Germany and fascist Italy during the Spanish Civil War and this allegiance continued throughout World War II. So he didn't exactly keep great company. Um, He did agree somewhat with some aspects of Nazi ideology. I think it's kind of understood that he wasn't like as fanatic um, as the Nazis were, but he was anti-Semitic and anti-communist. In particular, Franco believed in the anti-Semitic trope that Jews were allies of American capitalism and Russian communism. If you want to find out more about anti-Semitism, I do have an episode about it in series one of this podcast, so you can go back and check that that out if you haven't um, listened to it yet, and you can just find out more about it. So, what did Spain's Jewish community look like? Well, there is a long history of persecution of Jewish people within Spain, which has resulted in the community being forced mostly into exile. But prior to the Spanish Civil War of 19... as As I said, I just said that... Prior to the Spanish Civil War, there were between six to 7,000 Jews living in Spain. So Spain also had some influence over the Sephardic Jews living throughout Europe. Sephardic Jews, for any, any of the, you that don't know, are Jewish people of Hispanic descent. Um, many Sephardic, Sephardic Jews who lived in German-occupied Europe during the war actually held Spanish citizenship or a prote- protected status And the German authorities expected neutral states like Spain to take care of their own Jewish communities and repatriate them to the country or, um, yeah, repatriate them and give them refuge um, if they held citizenship. Now, what I think is interesting about this is that means in respect to the Holocaust, there was an opportunity for neutral states to take responsibility for not only their own Jewish communities, but perhaps there was opportunity there to also grant citizenship or protected status to other vulnerable Jewish communities. And I know that perhaps that's me just living in an ideal world, but it does go to show again just how important your status is when there is a threat of genocide and the power that governments have to protect people from persecution, even if they don't even if they don't have any control over the um, like geographical areas where the where the genocide is being persecuted, as it like as it was in this case, so there was also a Sephardic community living in Morocco, and we know from last week's episode that the Sultan of Morocco had to in- intervene in in that regard and protect the community there so it's fair to say that there wasn't a whole lot of interest in protecting Hispanic Jews especially if it meant granting residency in Spain it did however allow between 20 so the Franco government did allow between 20 to 35,000 Jewish people to travel through Spain to Portugal and beyond on transit visas so 
the idea that I'm getting is that they wanted to help a bit, but they didn't want Jewish people coming to Spain necessarily. Um, after the fall of France, Spain's neutrality was questioned and Franco did consider joining the Axis powers. Franco even met with Hitler in 1940, but in the end decided to stay neutral, although with close political and economic ties to Nazi Germany. The Franco government made it compulsory to be identified as Jewish on official documents and even drew up a list of all Jews who were residents within Spain. Jewish religious services had been banned since the end of the Civil War and Jews were only allowed to practice their um, religion in private. It's also understood that the Spanish government was aware of the atrocities being committed against Jews on the Eastern Front as there were Spanish volunteers who fought in the German army in what was known as the Blue Division. It's understood that the Blue Division would at times protect Jews who were in their areas of control. Um, but for the most part, there wasn't a huge intervention um, on the Spanish government's part when they found out um, about these atrocities. The Franco government sporadically issued orders to its representatives in other countries to protect Jews. However, this was not a consistent policy. And as mentioned earlier, there were Sephardic communities that the Spanish government were responsible for, but failed to protect altogether. In total, nine people from Spain have been recognised as righteous among the nations, even though post-Holocaust the Franco government tried to paint itself to the rest of the international community as having intentionally saved Jews during the Holocaust. Um, to be honest, I think the general consensus is that this was in order to deflect from the fact that the government had, although was officially neutral, had someone somewhat been allies of Nazi Germany. And nobody wants that post-war um so one spanish hero that i think it is worth speaking on though is angel i hope i'm going to say his name right angel sans briz who in 1944 please if anybody is spanish please just always correct me um, who in 1944 saved over 5,000 Hungarian Jews, which is actually five times more than Oskar Schindler, who is famous in, who is a famous rescuer of the Holocaust. I mean, there's the whole film that has been made about him and his story. Um, yeah, so five times more, but this story is nowhere near as recognised as Schindler's. And at the tender age of 33, which is quite mind-blowing it's very close to my age um it's mind-blowing to think that you know someone stepped up and did this but he was working um at the at Spain's embassy in Hungary and as reports grew regarding the extermination of Jews at Auschwitz and other death camps he actually informed the Spanish government of what was going on and asked what he should do to protect the Jews that were living in Hungary at the time. However, shock horror, he received no response from the Spanish government in regards of what to do about this, about the deportations. So taking matters into his own hands, he joined forces with a group of diplomats and began to issue counterfeit documents that stated that the person was of Sephardic descent and therefore protected by Spain, even though Hungarian Jews for the most part identified as Ashkenazi. So he then rented 11 apartment buildings to house around 5,000 people. And as you can imagine, that wasn't an amazing experience for the people but he did go out of his way to make sure that they were housed because 
I won't go into it in too much de- detail, but, but what they did in Hungary was um, force all, all Jews to live in uh, specially marked houses. So that basically just made deportation extremely quick and easy. Um, so, yeah, he placed them under protection and then as a result, just saved them from deportation. And the reason why this is incredible is for all the countries in, um, for all the countries the Holocaust was perpetrated in, Hungary had one of the fastest and most aggressive deportation processes. Um, The details of which, as I said, I will say for another episode, but when you know more about Hungary and how the Holocaust happened there, this is a, this is, a huge effort and a huge um, rescue mission, basically, just because of how fast everything happened. Um, it's also crazy illegal for a diplomat to be falsifying documents. So I think this is a great example of why when people say I was just following orders or, you know, I was just doing what I was told, you can actually never be excused because at your core, you always have a decision to make. And unless you really are a complete ideological arsehole excuse my language you have the choice to be human and put other human life first especially if you hold a position of power like you can exercise your right to go against I mean it's not that he was getting any feedback from the government anyway but you can go against what is actually happening around you um so yeah it also reiterates and I will say it again, how important status is and official documents and and just how the experience of dif- just how different the experience of different Jewish communities can be because of this. Because sometimes we might have this idea that, that, OK, the Holocaust was perpetrated against European Jews. But within that, you have different communities in different countries and the Holocaust has been per- perpetrated in a multitude of ways so there's no blanket experience for all of European Jews um so all in all the holocaust in Spain was for the most part an uninterested attempt I would say at saving part of the Sephardic community but for the most part there was no real interest in really pushing back against Nazi policy in in a general sense, even though the Franco government was a neutral country and had the power to protect the Sephardic community. So I think in a nutshell, that is basically it for Spain. Um, I would really encourage you to check out the story, the rescue story that I told you um, of the, the diplomat in Hungary at the time, because I do think that is a very interesting story and it just goes to show what potentially like how many lives you could potentially save if you see what's going on and you use your whatever power it is that you have to try and do something I mean 5,000 people is an incredible amount of people um and yeah and I think that's everything for this week if you do have any questions I know that was really short and sweet but that's the whole point of this podcast is to be concise about it um so I hope this is like a a starting point if you are interested in Spain or anything that I've mentioned today. I hope this is a starting point for you to go on and maybe do some more research or just to keep an eye out for things as you go about um, perhaps educating yourself about the Holocaust or genocide in general. Um, 
yeah you can pick up on different um issues that i may have mentioned um but if you do want to chat about anything then always feel free to drop me an email at info without the footnotes.org info at without the footnotes.org or via instagram dm at without the footnotes please if you haven't already rate review subscribe that does me a huge favor and um being able to reach a a wider audience and also share with friends and family or anyone you think that may be interested in this podcast and with that all being said I think that's it for this week so I'll catch you next time ciao